1: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss.
0: We are weeks away from finding out who will be the next prime minister.
2: All the evidence is clear. I am the only person who can beat Labour. I am the only candidate who can protect the union. And I am the only candidate who can keep Brexit safe. What the British people are crying out for is a modern and united Conservative Party, ready with the courage of its convictions to deliver on the promises that we have made. So my friends, you can trust me.
0: Whilst normally, prime ministers are elected after the whole country goes to the polls, this time the decision will be made by less than 200,000 people who happen to be members of the Conservative Party. I don't
2: like the idea of somebody going into
3: being prime minister that we haven't voted for.
0: At a time of national crisis, with the cost of living rocketing and a war being fought in Europe, how does the rest of the country feel about the next inhabitant of 10 Downing Street? Well, as anyone in politics will tell you, there's one age-old way of finding out.
2: If you want to know why people are thinking what they're thinking, and frankly, if you're a politician or a brand, you want to know how to change what they're thinking, then focus groups are really the qualitative way to properly dig down into those headline numbers and understand what's going on.
0: If it's good enough for the politicians, it's good enough for us. We assembled focus groups of undecided voters in three different locations to work out what the country is thinking. And in this episode, we bring you the results. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, what people really think of the Tory leadership race.
2: Hello from London Waterloo Station, where I just got onto the train to go to Hampton Court Station. That's in Eastshire. We're going to take part in a focus group to see what they make of the two leadership candidates in this campaign. Charlotte
0: Ivers, Times Radio's intrepid political correspondent and a columnist with the Sunday Times, has been travelling around the country to find out what people think.
2: I've spent the week going around to the Ring Road hotels of the United Kingdom and speaking to focus groups full of a variety of different voters, most of whom voted Tory in 2019, some of whom voted Labour, but all of whom are now undecided about which way they're going to lend their votes at the next election and been talking to them about Who it is that would win over their support? Is it Liz Truss? Is it Rishi Sunak? Frankly, in many cases, it was neither of them. Where is this? Where have they all gathered? This one was at a Holiday Inn Express, very glamorous, (laughs) on a business park just outside of Southampton. But we've also done focus groups this week in Esher in southwest London. That was a lovely little boutique hotel on the side of the Thames. And then there was also a focus group up in Oldham, very nondescript Ring Road Hotel for that one as well. So a full variety of venues. And Charlotte, you're
0: normally to be found in and around the the corridors of power in Westminster. What's it like suddenly finding yourself in a Holiday Inn Express?
2: I think it's a really good thing to do, to be honest, because there's always this criticism of Westminster journalism. And God knows it's a criticism I've made myself, that it can become very insular, very focused within a bubble. And so it's really great, actually, just to get out into the country and hear what people are thinking about politics, actually remind myself of who we're all actually writing for, what the point of all this reporting day in, day out on all the drama is.
3: Thank you so much for joining us this evening. My name's Liv, uh, I'm a researcher. It's my job to talk to people around the country about their views on a very wide range of different policy issues and this evening we're going to be talking about politics.
0: And just explain for people who've never been part of one of these, you know,
2: what exactly is a focus group and how do you bring these people together? How are they selected? Well, a focus group is essentially a bunch of people who brought together they've never been met before, and they are asked their opinion about something. I'm used to seeing them in a political context, but you can do them about shampoo, you can do them about your new restaurant that's opening any anytime that you need to gauge public opinion on something they're really helpful in terms of digging a bit more down into what people are actually thinking and why. Because obviously, opinion polls are the most important thing when it comes to predicting what's going to happen and having these broad brush, top line senses of what people are thinking. But if you want to know why people are thinking what they're thinking, and frankly, if you're a politician or a brand, you want to know how to change what they're thinking, then focus groups are really the qualitative way to properly dig down into those headline numbers and understand what's going on. So the way they're selected, the person who commissions it, so in this case, the Times, Mm. says what it is that they're trying to find out. The focus group company will take that away. They will commission another company who are experts in finding people and they will go out and they will find the people who are necessary. So let's take the one in Southampton, for example. They wanted to find people who are in skilled manual jobs or in office and clerical jobs. They wanted to find people who voted either Labour or Tory at the last election and they wanted to bring them together into that group. But crucially as well, these people needed to be undecided about how they'd vote if there was an election tomorrow. And they're brought into a meeting room somewhere and they're asked their opinions. It really is as simple as that.
0: And just tell me about the places that were picked to hold these focus
2: groups. We went for three different places. One, which was Isha, a leafy suburb of southwest London. This is part of the so-called Blue Wall. It's a super marginal seat between the Conservatives and the Liberal Democrats. And it's also Dominic Raab, the Justice Secretary and Deputy Prime Minister's seat. And it used to be a pretty safe Conservative seat a few years ago. But increasingly, due to tactical voting, the Lib Dems are really gaining on him this should be a Tory heartland and it isn't and a lot of MPs in the South of England in those safe seats are getting really nervous and that is a remarkable political phenomenon because these are the type of place where years ago you could put a blue rosette on a cow and it would win that's (laughs) how MPs would always describe that type of seat. Then we went down to Southampton itchin. Now that is, and I hate this term, it's part of the purple wall. The purple wall is a classic Labour-Tory swing seat. It's the type of seat that elections are always lost and won on. This is your absolute bog standard marginal and it switches with the political tides. So in 1992, it went to Labour and then the Tories got it back off Labour in 2015. That's the Southampton one. Then you've got Oldham. Now, Oldham is an interesting world. Oldham East and Saddleworth. This, I suppose, is sort of a Red Wall seat, although it's not quite the classic Red Wall seat Mm. in that it isn't currently held by the Conservatives. It is held by Labour, but only with a majority of 2,000 or so. So again, that is one of those new marginals, really. That's one of those interesting seats because it shows the Conservatives reaching into places that they perhaps hadn't reached into before. A lot of that was down to Boris Johnson. And the question we really wanted to know there is, can whoever takes over keep making those inroads into the Red Wall? And Mm. can they keep the Red Wall seats they already have?
0: And for the people who you gather in each of these locations to try to work out where that constituency is, are you looking for a broad spectrum of voters? Are you looking for Conservative members? Are you looking for Conservative supporters?
2: We decided not to do Conservative members because what we wanted to see is how the two leadership candidates would stand up to scrutiny by the wider public. So we're really looking more ahead to a general election, really, rather than what is immediately in front of them. Other than that, it was slightly different in the various different seats. So you had Conservative voters last time in Isha, but they would now be open to voting either Tory or Lib Dem. Then in Southampton, it was a mixed vote in 2019. So again, because of that Labour-Tory marginal element, we wanted to see what both sides were thinking. And they were again all either working and or married someone who's working the same across all of those. Then in Oldham, we have the same thing, Tory voters in 2019, but they are open in the future to a different vote. So crucially, these people in these groups are not dyed-in-the-wool party members or party supporters either way. They are the type of people who both sides next election will be trying to win around. round. That's such an interesting
0: group to hear from. Did you find it beneficial?
2: I really did. There are a lot of things that came up in those focus groups that I probably would have expected to hear but it was really interesting to have them confirmed. One of the key takeaways from these focus groups was the level of concern about cost of living.
3: I'm interested in who's going to tax me less sort or, of, you know, make my cost of living better. The cost of gas goes up globally 20% and you get charged 40%. You know, it's, it's, it's a
2: nonsense. Now... I think we all could have expected that that is going to be a concern. We can all feel that in our own lives. It's everywhere you look. This is something that you can just see the spread of across demographics, across the entire country. And that does echo the changing economic circumstances. And then there are other things that I really didn't see coming at all.
0: The purpose of these focus groups was to talk about the two Tory leadership candidates, Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss. But there was one other name that kept making an appearance.
3: I'd prefer Boris was probably still there.
2: Well, I really
0: like Boris.
3: Boris. Boris.
2: Boris Johnson. One of the really interesting things that came out from these focus groups is quite how many people actually quite like Boris Johnson back. Mm. And in Isha and in Oldham, actually, that was a fairly big takeaway from those 2019 Conservative voters. I voted Conservative, which Boris
3: Johnson. If Boris Johnson's not the Prime Minister of the next election, I don't care which of the other ones it is, I'm not voting
2: Conservative. Either. In each of those, there is a fair chunk of people who would actually prefer Boris Johnson to either of the two possible candidates.
0: Now that's quite a surprise.
2: It is, rather. And even in Southampton where you had mixed Labour and Tory voters, at the end I asked them for a show of hands on who would want Boris Johnson back. If Boris Johnson staying was the third option here, who would go for Boris Johnson in that circumstance? One, two, three, four, ish, yeah. so four and a half, three and a half. It's almost
3: been like better the devil you know because you don't yeah. actually yeah. know what mm. the other
2: two are going to do. It was about a third of them who said yes. Actually, he would be my favourite. Wow. What was it? Someone said better the devil you know was the position of one of the people in that Southampton vote. What a lot of the people in the focus group said is that they had no particular affection for Boris Johnson. He got a lot of things wrong. But the common refrain was, well, look, he had to deal with something that no other prime minister ever has. I think he did a brilliant job while he was there, uh, dealing with COVID, yeah. Brexit.
3: The others have not had to deal with well, anyone. has had to deal with anything what he's got. He stepped straight in and it was sort of Brexit and then it was COVID and then this then was Ukraine. Yes, no one could probably have dealt with it perfectly, but I think he could have dealt with it a lot better.
2: People seem to not have a huge amount of affection for him, but certainly to have this sense that he was really up against it and that they weren't sure whether the other two had proved their credentials on that front. Rishi Sunak got a little bit of praise from some for being at Boris Johnson's side in that. But also, I think he's been damaged in a way by the level of visibility he's had during the pandemic.
3: During that time of COVID, I know no one's going to get it perfect, but working in the sector that I work in, within education, within mental health and within the NHS services, I don't think they did it justice. They did it right.
2: He was getting the blame for a lot of things that have gone wrong. For example, COVID contracts that were misallocated. As well as that, you also had concerns around mispayments, people getting paid fraudulently and also people who had missed out on furlough who were unhappy about that. So in a way, Rishi Sunak's increased visibility has caused him a few problems, whereas Liz Truss, her ability as Foreign Secretary to stay a bit out of things Mm. over the last year or so has probably done her a few favours.
3: Her approach should be a fresh approach, rather than going with the old regime. Where Boris, you might follow in Boris's footsteps, just a different face. From the way I see it, is there's a lot of um, old boys club <coughs> in politics. Yeah, and for uh, for a lady to get that far, that high up in politics, she's had to deal with a lot of that and overcome it. Immediately tells you she's a strong character.
0: Coming up. What did the focus groups make of the candidates' policies and their personalities? Which candidate did they describe as a rat, and which was more likely to turn up at a Weatherspoon's? That's after a quick message from a colleague.
2: I'm Oliver Wright, policy editor at The Times. My job is to try and explain what's going on in Westminster, what the government's doing, what the government's
3: not doing, and why it matters to all of us. But we can only do this thanks to
2: subscribers of The Times and Sunday Times. Subscribe today by visiting thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times.
1: It's that time
0: of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze What did people think about the alternatives in terms of policy that they were seeing from both of the candidates?
2: I would say people in Oldham were significantly more concerned about cost of living. That kept coming up, although it did come up across all three of those seats in slightly different ways.
3: I think Liz Truss's idea of cutting taxes is good. It's a good idea for some of us with lower incomes. I just think he's a bit more sort of business-threatening. Mm-hmm. and a bit more pragmatic, um, not cut taxes, cut taxes, cut taxes. we'll cut them when it's ready, so rest of a bad bunch.
2: They felt that probably no politician would be able to do enough to combat the cost of living crisis. How
3: can you understand three quarters of the population when you come from just 25%? How can you possibly
2: know or understand or relate? There was a lot of scepticism about both the candidates' ability to get things done... In Isha, you very much had a sense that what they wanted to see a bit more of was candidates focusing on green issues.
3: I mean, obviously, everyone's talking about a cost of living, so they're having to mention that. I haven't heard quite so much about the environment mm. from any of them.
2: But then, and this is such a mark of how difficult it is to balance all of these things, in the same breath, you had people in the room saying, hang on, why am I paying a green levy on my energy bills? Ooh. So it does give us a sense of all the things that you're having to juggle. What did seem to happen across the groups is that there were some people who knew that Rishi Sunak was the man who was offering handouts, that he was the man who had committed to giving them money off their bills. And in some cases that went down pretty well. But then there were other people who were saying,
3: kind of unheard of in the Conservative Party, giving money to the people. It's not something that they've ever done before, but they've done it with no logic. So here you are, everyone, have some money to compensate your fuel bills, but everyone can have it.
2: Everyone. Hang on, I'm going to have to pay this back at some point. I'm not particularly happy about all of these handouts going everywhere. That's interesting.
0: And is there a sense, though, that given the size of the crisis that we're all facing in the next few months... Do they feel that they're hearing enough in terms of solutions? Are the candidates focusing on the right issues for them?
2: The short answer is no. Again, something that united all of the focus groups was just this sense that they didn't feel that the candidates had enough to say on the cost of living.
3: Considering it's the, one of the main focus points on everybody's mind at the moment, and yet neither of them touched on it in their videos, strikes me they're either don't know what to do or they're too scared to do what they need to do.
2: The focus groups, I would say, were quite divided. There were big, big splits in what people thought should be done. One of the
3: major things for me at the moment is the, uh, the amount of profit that the energy companies make. Oh, of course, um, And I think that the government should find a way to curb the amount of profit they
2: like There was a, a big sense in all the groups, actually, that people like them, people who are working hard are not the ones that will benefit from either of these policies. It felt like everyone felt that they were getting squeezed in the middle somewhat.
3: I think, personally, I don't think any politicians are there to help the normal working class people. The people that work, day in, day out, are always the ones that fall short.
2: People at the top get tax cuts, but people in the middle who end up paying for it all don't see anything from the government. That was probably another one of the overriding themes. Apart from the cost of living crisis, which
0: at the moment it's so big, it's hard to see beyond. But what were the other policy issues that they really wanted to hear the candidates talk about? What were the the most urgent policy areas for them?
2: Public services in general. Some talk about schools and the need to get kids caught up after the pandemic. But to be honest, it really all did come back at the end, cost of living and energy bills. That's the thing that everyone was talking about. Do you look at either of those two candidates and think that's someone I'd be proud of if you saw them? I did ask as well at the end of each of the focus groups whether people would prefer and feel proud of either Liz Truss or Rishi Sunak if they saw them on the world stage meeting world leaders.
3: I think the person would stand the best if they got the knowledge and they're actually seeing and following through with whatever they're saying or promising. That would be the person that I would want to meet at conferences, not the person that just smiles and shakes
2: hands. There was a sense for both of them that they probably wouldn't be some great figure striding across the globe. Rishi Sunak came under fire in one case for being too short. The man who brought this up did say he felt a bit embarrassed saying it, but it felt like it did matter. Liz Truss, a lot of the focus groups were saying, came across as reasonably serious. She's
3: you know, what she says, I think, is quite good, but she's yeah, standing out. Political leaders, she would be up against. You know, I think, I think you need someone there that's got a bit of gravitas. Somehow it doesn't, doesn't come
2: across to them. But again, there was this sense of awkwardness there. One man did say essentially that Boris Johnson had been a bit of a shambles with his badly fitting suit, so probably either of these candidates would be a better example for Britain on the world stage. But it was very mixed.
0: And I know that you asked them some quite fun questions about the two candidates and their personalities too to sort of try to get a sense of what they think. Tell me a
2: bit about that. These are always one of the most enjoyable bits of focus groups, I think. And they do serve a purpose. You ask people a silly question like...
3: And if the candidates were an animal, which one do you think they'd (laughs) be?
2: The answers can be quite revealing because, of course, a lot of the way that we think about politicians is very instinctive and it is very linked to our sense of who they are and the, how we feel towards them personally. So thought it was quite interesting in the Isha focus group. Rishi Sunak
3: could be the coyote
2: mm-hmm. and these Truss could be the rodent. was Rishi Sunak getting compared, I think, to a rat? But the woman who said that said she, he wouldn't be one of the rats that goes through your bins. He'd be a very slick rat. But there is a fairly negative response when it came to naming those animals. Liz Truss also had a mouse as one of the things that was recommended as what type of animal she would be. And then that other question on where they go for lunch, that one was really quite fun as well. There was a sense from the voters in Isha that Liz Truss would be at some lovely, slightly fuddy-duddy tea room, and that Rishi Sunak would be out for some sort of glamorous meal at the Ritz or fancy Mayfair restaurant. And it was a really interesting question in Southampton because there was the first instincts of one of the focus group members who said... They're
3: not going to Wetherspoons, are they? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, I think Richie Sunak would be the sort of person that would go to Wetherspoons, just to prove a point. Just for the point. Hey, everybody, look at me, I'm down with
2: the road. That's why I, I really like those questions, because that's so telling, isn't it? That's such a, a fascinating insight into how some voters see Richie Sunak and what sort of a problem he could be up against. And Charlotte, for you, were there any big surprises... I think the Boris Johnson element certainly was a surprise. The fact that so many people did seem to regret that Johnson wasn't still there. They don't seem to be massively inspired by either of the two candidates who are there to replace him. And I think as a result, some voters are looking back on him, if not warmly, then just with a sense of resignation. And again, I keep coming back to that phrase, better the devil you know, which someone said to us in one of those focus groups. Other things that surprised me just how similar it was across different parts of the country and just this real sense, which shouldn't have surprised me and in a way didn't, but the extent of it did, this real sense of exhaustion and disappointment.
3: I feel really let down with all the whole thing. It doesn't matter to me who wins, which is really sad because normally it would have, but I just think it's going to be another person in front of a lot of
2: lies and dishonesty. So many people saying... I've checked out over the last few years. I used to love following politics. I used to be passionate about it. Now I just don't want to watch it. I've given up. I'm disappointed in them. I don't think they've got anything to offer me. That, if anything, to be honest, was the overriding message of these focus groups. People are tired, they are fed up, and they are very, very cynical that politicians have anything to offer them. Unless
3: you're a Conservative member, you won't get a chance to vote. So, I don't know, for me, it just makes me a little bit disinterested in it. I don't like the idea of somebody going into being prime minister that we haven't voted for.
2: Overall, there was just this sense that this is something that is happening for other people elsewhere.
0: Based on what you heard, what do you think the big challenges will be for whoever wins this leadership race as they approach the next general election?
2: The big thing is that a lot of people were withholding judgments on whether they were vote Conservative at the next election until they see whether... candidates can actually deliver
3: the whole world's gone crazy in the last three years for various different reasons and a lot of people at the minute need help and they're not the right people are getting the right help and support that they need no so quite honestly at the moment i have literally no clue the way i'd vote at the moment
2: people want to see their lives made better that was so clear whenever anyone was asked about how they'll be voting next time and a lot of that will be about cost of living there's just this real sense that everybody is worried in different ways. And we had people from a variety of different income groups and all of them were worried in their own different ways. Then on top of that, I think just restoring trust and faith in politics, that clearly is something that whoever takes over will have to do.
3: I've always voted Conservative. And in all I see is that like if they call a general election, you know, next week I probably just wouldn't bother voting.
2: It really was a sense that all politicians have left something lacking, that all politicians have let voters down and that that does need to change. And I know that's always a feeling that people have. People are naturally sceptical of politicians. That's in many ways a healthy thing, but it did feel particularly acute.
0: You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, Charlotte Ivers, political correspondent for Times Radio. You can read more about the focus groups on the leadership race at thetimes.co.uk with a subscription. And you can hear Charlotte's coverage of the contest across Times Radio. The producers today were Priyanka Deladia And Edward Drummond. The executive producer is Kate Ford, and sound design was by John Scott. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.
1: Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic.
0: Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget?